As I was lounging upon the stair, I heard a podcast do a swear. The boozed-up show gave quite the fright. Oh, how I wish they'd get things right. TV breakdowns of a sort. The hosts on wine and beer and port hold retro telly to account while banging on about P-Mount. As I was lounging upon the stair, a ghastly sound rang through the air. A rambling drunk profanity in Peggy's hour of calamity. Coming up on tonight's diary-inducing podcast. And I'm glad you said VHS tapes because that's what the original was filmed on. Thirty seconds into this, uh-huh. and it looks like it looks like a fan film shot on a JVC camcorder. It does. It's beautiful. But more insane than that, as you've pointed out, is the interior of her dental practice. Fuck me. Uh, apparently, it's entirely normal. <laughs> entirely normal to have massive archways. They're like they're fucking feet across. You can walk through them. <laughs> That look like those foam teeth sweets that you get. What's going on here? Yeah, anyway, his, yeah. his, his sweater in this section is the most horrific thing about the program. You know, you know <laughs> that that sweater smells of stale Tesco lager. Yes. Garlic for vampires. It's wolfsbane for werewolves. I know all about it. All right. Hello and welcome to the third and final thought-provoking thrill that is this year's Halloween specials on the Peggy Mount Calamity Hour. I'm Dr Velvet. I'm Blackout. And we're here because producer Ken taped over our VHS copy of the Highway to Heaven omnibus we've had since 1989. Yes, hello to you and thanks for groaning into our gruesome grandiloquent grading of terrifying television where Britain's best-loved battle axe is but a breeze-blown curtain away because here all roads lead to the mountain. If you go over to PeggyMountPod.com, info for the episode we're discussing is in the show notes. You can find us on the socials, get in touch to say hello or ask why we haven't clawed our way out of the grave yet. And before we creep around the streets with capes and chloroform, Dr Velvet, I've got to ask, what are you drinking? I'm on brand here. I'm, in fact, I'm remarkably on brand here because I have a bottle... Of bat's blood, <laughs> right? It's a it's a it's a merlot. And, oh, okay, uh, right, it's, right, right. It's bat's blood, and uh, I, I would try to tell you who it's by, but I can't read the label because I've had half of it. But um, <laughs> but but it's 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 all right. This uh, it's in fact it's bloody lovely. Pardon the pun. Yourself? Uh, I'm going to slake my monstrous thirst with a bottle of <laughs> Leviathan by the Hopneben Brewery in Kent. Oh. Leviathan. So yes, that was a game for the spectrum. <laughs> it's heavier. It's six percent, and it's very dark. So we'll do that. Yeah, yeah, that's all right. That's good. That's good. Smashing. All right, that preps us well for our final viewing before we put the lid on the coffin of this year's Halloween festivities, and an offering from the BBC, which confirms that literally anyone with a pen and paper and a cheap camera can have their work broadcast. On national television. (laughs) 
Ritual Murder was an early 90s offbeat crime procedural created by Harry Robertson and Brian Degas, produced by Pebble Mill Studios for BBC One. It revolves around Dr John Cornelius and his partner Samantha Valentine, played by Nicholas Clay and Ken Thompson, as psychology boffins who spend time on the side investigating cases of the unexplained and the outré. Storylines for each episode wove their way between the traditionally occult and the burgeoning technological advances of the era, and the series boasted a glorious array of guest stars, including Bernard Breslow, Tony Robinson, Helen Lederer, Howell Bennett, Sean Pertwee and John Pertwee. But we have watched the penultimate episode, for casting reasons which will become apparent, A Dream of Dracula. Written by Bennett Sims, directed by Philip Draycott, this went out on BBC One on Friday the 21st of August, 1992, in the half-nine slot. A series of missing persons cases dangles enough clues to suggest that a real-life vampire is stalking the foggy streets, leaving the police stumped. But can Samantha and JC suspend their incredulity for long enough to get to the bottom of the case, or will they unwittingly become just another part of it? It's not just the police who are stumped. As the fucking audience are as well, aren't they? Aren't they, though? <laughs> were you acquainted with this show back in the day? Not a clue. At this time in my life, I was never out of a bar. So this kind of television escaped me. Same. So no. that's, that's the thing. Friday Friday nights for me in 92. You'd be at the pub. You. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I sort of knew of it from TV trailers and the Radio Times and the like. Yeah. But I didn't watch it. Then it never got a repeat, a VHS release. No. Didn't even get a port over to satellite or digital channels. It's almost like the BBC are embarrassed by virtual murder. Yeah. In fact, I go as far as to say is this is the televisual equivalent to the E.T. Atari game, which is now buried beneath many landfills up and down. You know? Uh, I love the thought that there's going to be a fucking archaeology team who just come across, like, a, basically a grave of 666 VHS tapes of virtual murder. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. And I'm glad you said VHS tapes because that's what the original was filmed on. 30 seconds into this, uh-huh. and it looks like it looks like a fan film shot on a JVC camcorder. It does. It's beautiful. We um we open in the misty nighttime lanes. Well, you think it's night? It's still lit up like a fucking hospital. As uh, as Jill Gascoigne is abducted. She's our first guest star. <laughs> She's abducted by a shadowy figure in a cloak and a wide-brimmed hat who chloroforms why? people and drives a blacked-out bed for transit. Why is he Why is he wearing that? <laughs> to look like a clip. <laughs> Box ticked. We, um, we, we get the opening credits, and then we see we, we cut back to his lair to see that the figure is in fact a vampire as he bites into her neck. I have a question. Yeah. She's lying on the slab. Uh-huh. Jill Gascoigne. Candles everywhere. There's no sign of a lab. Anyway, is there a reason why, he, first of all, he didn't just bite her in the van? It would have been a lot easier than driving her all the way to wherever he's taken her, this crypt that he's got taken her to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he needs to invest in a serviette because he clearly bites into a hot dog because he spills <laughs> ketchup on her blouse. Um, This will come out later on in the programme, but... He's all about the uh, he's all about the aesthetics of it. Yeah, well, he is. It's, you know, course, biting, yeah, yeah. biting someone in a van. That's not particularly gothic, is it? it well, it, it doesn't smack of eighteenth-century uh, Transylvania, no. So you know, he's uh, he, he's aiming for the theatrical. Therein lies a clue to the identity of the vampire. Oh, well, so, like, that's basically like a spoiler, isn't it? For, for, the, it for is. those of you who've watched this, anyway. Yeah. No, no, no I, I don't think it is. I think the the mystery is far more intricate than that. Yeah. <laughs> not. So we. Uh, 
we cut into the into the university, and JC, our hero, he's given a, a lecture, which is apparently about vampires. Although yeah. the way it's scripted and the way we pick mm. it up at the tail end, he seems to only mention vampires about forty-five seconds from the end, and then gone, right? That's it. Off you fuck. Yep, that's his he lecture. Can do that. And you're like, is, it, is this lecture three minutes long? What? He can he can do that because what a beautiful perspex lectern he has. <laughs> I want that. I want that. It is nice. Yeah. Special, special, special shout out for those floaty, twisty CGI scene transitions that are fucking straight out of Top of the Pops of this era. Top of the Pops, or whoever is doing them, they've got the same mixing desk that was used on Wizbit. But yep. yeah, yeah, yep. it's very Top of the Popsy. It's all yeah. aged about as well as the videotape that this series has been shot on. It is fucking amazing. Yeah. We're, um, we're in the theatre then. The theatre department are rehearsing for a play. They're doing Dracula. Well, well. Before before we get to the theatre, can I just point out that student um, mm-hmm. back to the le- lecture hall just after JC's lecture, uh-huh. and the student comes over. Maybe I can come round later and see you. She clearly has a crush on this. Just, to, I think it's just to reaffirm that he's a bit of a dish. This yes, lecture. yes, yes, yes. It is yes. I think that that's when he then directs her to the theatre department because like they might be able to teach you how to fucking act. Well, that, but you just, you just think, just the way she delivers it, you'd think, I won't meet you after after a lecture as long as there's a hole in my arse, you creepy <laughs> bastard. But then, but yeah, you're, no, you're absolutely right, because then, of course, Samantha turns up. Basically like, he's mine, fuck off. Yeah, 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 yeah. By the way, the way she calls him JC through this, uh-huh. I, could, I, could, I could burn me face with tabs. Nah. If you if you hadn't picked it up already, listener, this is a challenging watch. <laughs> challenging watch. <laughs> so Stephen Yardley, who plays our well, hapless detective, got Ste- almighty. Stephen Yardley. Stephen Yardley. Howard Howard Wayford out of Harrods Way. Yeah. Mint. Yeah. Mint. There he is, barking on. Dressed like Dick Tracy, for yes. the love of God. Yes. Um. He's barking on about, oh, there's a vampire loose in the city. Is that right, Mr. Police Officer? You're just going to accept this, are you? This script, this script is a GCSE video production. Well, A, he's going to just, like, accept this. B, he's going to go and talk to a fucking psychology lecturer about it, rather than literally anyone else in his organisation. Right. God almighty. So we're in the theatre department. We are indeed. Next couple of guest stars. Alfred yeah. Marx is Professor Zeff, who's like somehow in charge of fucking amateur dramatics. Alfred Marx, I like him, and I also like a, a little of his brother's work. His brother Skid. Yes, um, I like. I like. He, he was in a heavy metal <laughs> band, wasn't he? He was. He was. Yeah. yeah. And then next guest star, Captain Panaka, comes in and fucking screams every single line he's been given. Good Lord, the BBC were getting their money's worth out of him. Weren't they? I love how furious he is. Stopping the whole time. For no fucking reason. It's amazing. Would you like to take this part? Can I shout every line? Uh-huh. <laughs> yes? I'm in. In fact, I'll do it for free. Right, no no worries. Off you go. E. So JC, JC and Samantha, they're on the case by now, aren't they? They know that uh, you've they've just, got you've the... Just, I've, I've literally got on the case written in me fucking notes. Boom. They're on the fucking crystal meth. Aren't they? Well, they are, but so is the guy who was in charge of the decor 
at Jill Gascoigne's dentist surgery. Thank you. Right, first things first. One, she's still alive. Yes. This and, is this and, is important. Fuck she's, all happened. One, she's still alive, and yet it's just his back. She's got a wound on her neck. She, it's not even fucking treated. It's just there. It's like, it's fine. No, it's not going mouldy. It's just like, she's like, I'm a dentist. They're not real teeth. I've basically been stabbed with, like, bits of fucking plastic or something. She is so nonchalant, you would think that those bite marks had just come from when she was at the pub the night before, she'd gone crackers with a vodka, and she uh-huh. had a sly pork and a hickey by the end of the night. <laughs> that, that, she, she doesn't care. But more insane than that, as you've pointed out, is the interior of her dental practice. Fuck me. Uh, apparently, it's entirely normal, <laughs> entirely normal to have massive archways... They're like, they're fucking feet across. You can walk through them. They'd look like those foam teeth sweets that you get. Pretty much. So some, someone is. in the production department has gone, what a dentist look like? I've never been to one. I imagine there'd be <laughs> huge teeth everywhere. <laughs> I think maybe it's a little bit of an homage because maybe they've thought, well, since this is the ghostly Halloween vampire let's have King Kong's dentures all our our shop. You know what I mean? It is they fucking are mental. <laughs> They are enormous. It's like a Kenny Everett sketch. It's crackers, man. I wouldn't fucking trust a dentist who had their fucking practice set out like that. I'd be like, there's something not right here. I'm leaving. I'd be waiting for Pat Sharp to appear because I would think this was an activity room and I would need to find a puzzle. Yes. Nah. Next up, exterior, nighttime. It's the same street again, it looks like. Um, Mm. Sam Kelly and Tessa Wyatt. Boom! What a co- what a combination! Do you know what I mean? And they're like they're they're out at night having a bit of a neck on, and of course they walk up to the the black bed for transit. We know what's going to happen there, with a pristine white handkerchief and chloroform. Mm-hmm. He leaves Sam Kelly round by the bins. Tessa Wyatt is taken off in a van to the crypt. They should have played the theme tune to Robert's ne- Robin's Nest at this point. Well, they anyway, should. Yeah. Now, I tried to get an online valuation for Dracula's van here. That's got the uh, the registration XYP six nine eight T. We see that very clearly on the screen. Yeah, yeah. I was just I was just going to have like you know a bit of a competition thing to see what it's worth mm-hmm. in, in this day and age. Apparently, that's not a valid registration. This okay. means that the BBC had that plate made especially for this program, and quite frankly, that is the most convincing performance of the fucking lot. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. So all that's gone on. And then we cut to a big white house. We do, yes. A big, big white house. It turns out it's Sam Kelly and Tessa Wyatt's house. Yeah, this is this is where they live. She's still alive, just like um, just like Jill Gascoigne mm-hmm. was. Mm-hmm. Now to bother. Um, it looks it looks like they're going to be trying to make a bit of money out of this. They've gone to the press. They're just like, oh, yeah, I, yeah. I was attacked by a vampire. Give me a thousand pound. I'll tell you all about it. So obviously. JC and Samantha, they pose as film producers to get their foot in the door and speak to them about it. Well, just before they arrive, Sam Kelly and Tessa Wyatt are being interviewed by Ben Elton from Friday Night Live as he draws a cartoon... (laughs) As he draws a cartoon of of a supposed vampire. This man who is essentially a council estate Mike Reed Radio 1 DJ. Yes. Um, Oh, what's going on here? Anyway, His, his, His sweater in this section is the most horrific thing about the programme. You know, you know <laughs> that that sweater smells of stale Tesco lager. Yes. <laughs> Don't you? Anyway, yes, as you correctly say, CJ and Samantha arrive. 
in film producer guise. And they keep up this pretense for approximately 25 seconds? Yes. They're literally the worst investigators you could hope for on any case. Yeah. We are treated in this scene to, uh, to Philip Whitchurch as TV presenter Clive Warren. Not the actor Clive Warren, he's not in this, but the TV presenter. What kind of fucking channel does this guy broadcast for? Because everything, uh, 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 every time you see his footage, it looks even more badly filmed than the rest of the fucking programme. It really does. It really um, does. Anyway, church, but, mm. out of the Brothers McGregor. Yes. Mint. Yes. You just read me mind. <laughs> Add me notes. There you go. And yeah, he's in this. He's on 10. This is this is shaping up to be something absolutely amazing. It's just not yet. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. so he's there, absolutely up height, because he's sort of having his scoop stolen. Until he realises that, yes, they're, they're not film producers. They're just psychology nerds. Yes. Um, they take the, they take the drone away. How do they walk out with that? I was wondering that, because the, the, there's no discretion at all at this. No. Uh, Samantha recognises the background as uh, in the sketch. She goes, oh, I know where that is. But this guy is li- he's literally just like fucking sketches on a bit of paper on the sofa, right? Smelly mm-hmm. jumper man. He's gone... Mm-hmm. Whereabouts were you? Oh, there's some stone arches or something. Let me describe the vampire like it's something out of an old film. And he's gone, arch, 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 there you go. So Samantha yeah. looks at this and goes, oh, I know where that is. That That's Westgate Cemetery. Because, of course, she recognises it. It's the Coliseum at Rhodes, mind that. <laughs> and her and JC go to investigate at night. Because, of course, they do. <laughs> can, I just rewi- can, I, can I just rewind before we get there? Because there's a very important moment when mm. um, JC and Samantha are back at the university very briefly and they bump into the head of the faculty... Uh-huh. Um, a chap there who's been in many, many different things. More importantly, the lady to his left is indeed the actress who plays Linda Snell from The Archers. There we the go. Hyacinth, the hyacinth bouquet of Ambridge. Do you know what? <laughs> After the last 20 minutes of this, I'm already, I'm already on 10 because <laughs> Linda Snell... I'm glad you've got the time check there because, you know what, at this point, we're 25 minutes in... And I have not seen hide nor hair of the headline and guest star yet. This is outrageous. It's a fact. I'm, I'm just, I'm just putting it out there. We'll get to it, uh-huh. but you know, you're like, there's, there's something missing here. I saw names at the start, and the name that interested me, that person has not appeared anyway. No, no. I digress. You do. We're at, we're at Westgate Cemetery then, and of course, yes, as you say, it's at night. JC and Samantha go over and investigating. Ah, they, um, yeah, they walk through an unpadlocked gate. Yes. I then get padlocked in by the the shadowy figure who's obviously I don't know how he's like seen them go in there, but sort of follows him in, wraps a bit of chain around. Oh no, they're they're in there. What? what they shout for help. It, it's a cemetery. It's night. There's no one around. What are they going to do? Kick the railings in. Apparently, apparently Samantha has looked and gone. Right, that's they're rusted to fuck. And me, Samantha, with what is sure to be a pair of spindly fucking heels can definitely fucking kick apart this iron railing and does that. That's and right. because there's, like, hardly anything of it, it just fits out between the railings. Meanwhile, fat JC is still stuck in there. We don't yep. see how he gets out. That's fine. We don't. We don't. I'm we assuming don't. that in her anger, she just belts down the rest of the entire sort of gated frontage. I think, yes, I think someone um, let her read the following three pages of script and in her fury, she tore the cemetery apart. <laughs> did, you, did anything strike you about the dialogue? What apart from its shitness? Yes. Well, I was certainly between... Well, the dynamic between their characters, I was absolutely getting a Jonathan Creek and Maddie vibe. Don't know if you're familiar with too much of Jonathan Creek, but season one, certainly, 
Jonathan Creek and uh, Maddie, the two. Was that, that's that fair. Was crackling that's along. fair. Yeah. No, I'm because yeah, I was thinking um, this is sort of made the whole the series is sort of made as like a homage to classic Avengers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we've got like a pair of playfully sceptic, but crucially they are open-minded investigators. One of whom is an attractive redhead. Virtual murder actually predates the X Files by a full year. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So yeah, it's doing a it's doing a lot of things ahead of its time. We've got to say that. Yeah, that's the last good thing we'll say about it anyway. So um, they get out of the cemetery, uh-huh. and we uh, we cut to their house. Mind, it's not a bad gaff they live in. Mind, is it? Yeah, exactly. Bearing in mind, like he's a university lecturer. What I don't even know what she does. I've called her a boffin. She's not. She hasn't got a title. She's not like a doctor or whatever. Um, no, no. She's just like his partner slash assistant. She's just there, interfering whenever he's trying to do anything. Yeah, yeah. I can't see where the money's coming from here. No, I can know. Anyway. know what's going on here. But um, nice gaff. Interrupted by a knock at the door. Or rather, a belting of the door. Ah. I would be furious <laughs> if a dagger, or whatever it was called, was belted through my front door with a message on. I'd be absolutely furious. There is this, yes. <laughs> We've, um, to go back briefly to the crypt, we keep seeing Dracula kidnapping women on the streets and driving mm. off with them. We know he doesn't kill them. Where's he putting them back to afterwards? Yeah, I know. He can't just be letting them wake up in the crypt because they give the location away. Is he leaving them, what, like, just fucking out by the bins? Puts them in an Uber. Well, he might. Yeah. Anyway, you never know. Anyway. So, so note on the door, yes, dagger in the door. Dagger in the door. And the, the, their, their presence is requested. Now, this at this point, the lack of subtlety in this programme is really mm-hmm. getting on me tit end, right? Mm-hmm. They're called to Van Helsing's house. Yes, Dr Van Helsing. That's bad enough. Yeah. But when we get to his house and he's got a crucifix as a knocker... Uh-huh. I'm and, not, I'm, I'm here for this. I'm loving it. And, and a massive wreath of garlic around his front door and then you go in to a recording stock recordings of test tube bubbling playing in yeah. the background yep away mind away no i'm loving it the fact that all the way through so far it's something like seven times out of ten every time they refer to like the vampire they're calling it a dracula i'm like this is yes. amazing this has been written by a six-year-old i'm loving this um yes. and yeah he is dr van helsen that's his actual character name no further context or explanation is given as to why even given as to why Dr. Van Helsing exists, and up until this point, has not given a shit about the vampire attacks that the rest of the city has gone wild about. Nah. Amazing. Nah, just uh-huh. <laughs> just now, buggering about because he's got bats in his attic. <laughs> now, you have to note the technique here. Ronald Fraser has got one three-minute scene. He's in a new set. The only other people that are there are Kim Thompson and Nicholas Clay. Mm-hmm. From a production point of view, this is completely independent from the rest of the episode. And it's not the last time we will see that in what we're watching. Mm-hmm. Yes. It isn't, is it? So he sort of reads out a minute and a half's worth of exposition, sends him to a chapel of rest. We're in this bizarre chapel of rest... Um, which, uh, you say, but you you say bizarre. I tell you now, I'm changing my will. I want to be there. Uh, <laughs> well, apparently, the Chapel of Rest 
has an actual fucking furnace. I've never been in one like that. Has an actual furnace behind a shutter, rather than like oh, a separate right. crematorium. Okay, okay. <laughs> yes. um, yeah. And this section, next guest star, features Julian Clary as an undertaker. Julian Clary? Julian fucking Clary is an undertaker who dresses completely in white and just rhymes off confidential client information at the drop yes. of a top hat. <laughs> yeah. Fantastic. Um, his scene also... New set features him and just the two leads, and is a couple of minutes long. We're not going to see him again. Bosh, off you go. And Amazing. I'll tell you what, what a shame, because what a performance. Yeah, he's fantastic. And bearing in mind, he's in his showbiz infancy here, really. Yeah. Uh, his, te- his television infancy, certainly. Um, this is probably his first step into prime time, I okay. would suggest. He'd been locked away on as a stand-up on... I'll mention it again, Friday Night Live yes, on Channel yes. 4 throughout the uh, late 80s. Yeah. So this is, um, nah, this was great. I yeah. applauded when I saw this. Yeah, you know, he's doing the best with the script he's got. That's fine. Yeah, he is. Uh, so again, a couple of minutes of exposition. Gives him a bit of a clue. They go off to their next scene. Bosh! 35 minutes in? Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, hmm. please welcome Peggy Mount with a cracker's ginger wig. My television exploded. Yep. Peggy Mount is on. She's playing Mrs. Wheeler, who's the widow of the great Chandu, a conjurer who ordered one of Julian Clary's breather coffins, he calls him. Yep. Again, it's Peggy Mount, it's Samantha and JC, scenes two and a half minutes long, bang. It's almost like the casting director is calling in favours here. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh, it is. Every single one of these scenes is rehearsed, filmed and finished in under a quarter of an hour. Oh, this yeah. is fantastic! And can we just Peggy's delivery here is superb. Yes, yes. It, it, uh, you know what? Between this teabagged Christmas turkey and the Tomorrow People, it's clear that early nineties Peggy Mount gives zero fucks. She is loving the ridiculousness of this. She really is, and she's gone for it with a wardrobe as well. Yes, um, yes. By by now, they know what to expect, so they've brought along. Ethel Merman's old wardrobe. Uh-huh. God almighty. <laughs> the ma- Mount's hair is absolutely glorious. Well, yep. the ginger wig, but it is superb. Peggy saves the day. She does, though. She really, really does. So, the plot thickens. The script net gets no better. But um, JC finds himself... Wandering the corridors of the university, and he opens a door, and there's a massive metal tank, there if is. you like. Yeah, yeah. And we think, we do think, this is going to be the breather coffin, we're right. led to believe. Um, but of course, it's not. It's an experiment going on by Shouty Man from Casualty. Yes. Yeah, um, Captain Panaka comes back on, just shouting again, because JC has disturbed one of his experiments with apparently it's like an isolation tank at the university. This scene makes almost no sense. It's on, It's only here so that Hugh Quashie can come on and shout again. Yeah. Brilliant. Yep. <laughs> Every time JC sees that man, he knows he's going to get the biggest bollock in his life. He yes. really does. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Samantha goes to Professor Zeff's house. She does. In true tradition, they split up. Uh, and off she goes, yes. Because apparently he ordered another one of the coffins. Is this like the three coffins they've tracked down now? Is that why this is happening? I think so. Right, I think okay. so, yeah. And it's anyway, it turns out it was Professor Zeff who's been the vampire all along. Yeah, Alfred Marx is a Dracula. Because despite the pair of them investigating this case for the last 40 minutes, he just turns up in his cape and explains everything. That's how this works. 
Yes. Yes. Fucking hell. Mm. And, yeah, the power of psychology. Of course, he's not a vampire. He's not a Dracula. He's just a guy who is in love with, as you said earlier, the theatre of it all. Yeah. And the whole premise of being a vampire. Yeah. But doesn't have the common sense to actually kill his victims. No. No. Case closed. Boom. Good God. So, Dr. Velvet, how Mm. many blood-dripping pegs would you place on the side of a breather coffin for virtual murder, a dream of Dracula? I will start by saying this was, of course, recommended to ourselves by the chaps at the Exxon Moss Experiment podcast. Yes, thank you, lads. Yeah. Um, And I know they're expecting me to say one peg out of nine. Do you know what? I'm giving this four out of nine. Okay. Because there were certain nice little touches we mentioned. This preempts a lot of series... Yeah, yeah. And it's got certain ingredients. Mm-hmm. If they'd used an actual BBC camera crew and not the <laughs> local college... And, yeah, I mean, you can make a list of improvements to be made, but this is like a comic strip, this. It's so simplistic. Yeah, yeah. It's it's like an easygoing little comic strip. If, if you're after some... Highbrow horror, forget it. So there's potential with this. It's as much of a mystery to find that potential as it is for them to find a breather coffin. But true, it's there. It's there's something there. So I'm not going to absolutely dismiss this because I didn't completely hate it. I have to be honest. Your good self. Um. Well, yeah, virtual murder is demonstrably shit. But you know what? We get Stephen Yardley, Philip Whitchurch. Sam Kelly, Tessa Wyatt, Hugh Corshi, Alfred Marks, Ronald Fraser, Julian Clary, and Peggy Mount. This episode alone is like the bar from the end of Quantum Leap. I think I've died and gone to heaven here. Nine pegs. God almighty. Boom. God almighty. More of this. More of this. I want Peggy Mount in every episode. I know that didn't happen. I want it to happen, but yeah. Yeah. Well, I think Peggy Mount should... Play. If I'm totally honest, if I, I would give it nine if... JC was played by Julian Clary, which he should have been because of the initials anyway. But if JC yes. was and Samantha's played by Peggy Mount, Boom, I'd watch the shit out of that. But there you are. And only if, like in this, only if she says bastard in every episode. Yes, yes, I'm with you. In Amazing. fact, the theme tune, the theme tune should begin with that. <laughs> but yeah, there you go. That is that. There are no steps up to the mountain because Peg is here with us. We're already there, ladies and gentlemen. We're already there, which is just as well, actually, because my crystal ball is rattling, and that's probably why I walk with a limp. Anyway, it also signifies the fact that Blackout's ready with your socials. Yes, thank you once again for crawling in to be with us. If you'd like to get in touch, you can email PeggyManPod at gmail.com or we're PeggyManPod on Facebook, Twitter and on Instagram. Five-star ratings are always welcome on Spotify, iTunes, wherever you listen to us. If you can, don't forget to go to PeggyMountPod.com to check out the show notes for this and for all of our other episodes. It's as simple as that. It really, really is. Right then, that's it for us for these Halloween happenings. Thank you for listening. We'll be back in the popping of a bottle of bubbly as the snow falls upon the roof of Mount Peg Towers. Until then, keep... Keep mountain. Mountain! 
to Peggy Mount Calamity Hour is a free podcast from iCall Media, which holds production copyright. Opinions and recollections expressed are not to be taken as fact. The title and credit music is by Dr. Velvet. Audio segments and television programs are presented for review and informational purposes only under fair use, and no ownership of these is claimed or implied by this show. For more information, visit PeggyMountPod.com. If you want to make yourself useful, he said, there's a hole in my leotard once fixing. Fix it. <laughs>